Good evening, welcome to another episode of the Quarantine Hotline. Today is the 17th episode and tonight, tonight, yeah, not today, and tonight we have with us uh, Eliza Clark, who is uh, originally from Newcastle, now living in London. She's, uh, you probably heard about her, she's uh, everywhere now. Um, she's the author of a debut novel called Boy Parts, which is published by Influx Press. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we're going to talk with Eliza about her book and uh, why is it doing so well. Hello, Eliza, are you there? Hello, yes, I am. I can hear you loud and clear. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you. How are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm very well. And uh, I'm looking for, I haven't read your book yet, but I got it here with me. It's in my, <laughs> it's in my to read list. It's doing very well. Congratulations. Yeah, you, Thank it's, you. It's an ideal start to a, to, to a career. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> although you launch it in the, during the lockdown, which is never the the best moment to do anything. And um, this is your first book. Yes. As a as a novel, yeah. Yes. What is it about? Tell us. I mean, I know what it is about, but let's. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is about. Um... God, I always struggle with this question, you know. I feel like I've never worked out <laughs> how to like succinctly sum it up, but it's about a female photographer whose career has kind of hit the skids, who um, takes photographs of sort of average looking men that she kind of scouts from the street. And it's about her kind of having a bit of a sort of breakdown around the possibility of a potential career revival. I see. And uh, I mean, I, I heard it's quite gory, quite, quite hardcore. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's like in my head, it was like more tasteful, but um, I read the audiobook, <laughs> and it's obviously just like a much more and which, which is really weird. We basically had to do it in, in my flat and um, the engineer and the director like Skyped in so um yeah reading your book aloud to two strangers is a really great way to sort of work out how how kind of gross and how hardcore <laughs> it is i don't mind gross i think it's fantastic and uh but you know i liked uh, I, I was skimming through your book today and there is this dedication on the opening page that says uh, for my mother and father please don't read this <laughs> you, you really think they're not gonna read your book I don't know. Apparently, they haven't yet. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> You're really hoping sure they won't read it. Is I, that... I I think so. Yeah. I don't I don't really know if I like. Um, I don't know. It's just a little bit weird. There's just there's just an awful lot of shagging in it. Okay. Like it's kind of it's a little bit like wall to wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the kind of things you want them to read. And um, I mean, I, I know comparisons are hateful, you know. And I also saw you uh, saying you haven't read it, but. From what I see in the reviews, many times they come back to this idea of American Psycho, which, you, I mean, you haven't read it, so. <laughs> I've seen the film. You've seen the film. <laughs> so, so it's a violent book that you've written. Yeah, I think it's not as, as bad as American Psycho. Like, from obviously I haven't read it, but from what I have heard of being, like, the key things, um, it's not quite as, like, violent as that. I think it's kind of, if you were to put it on a scale... And like at one end of the scale, there's American Psycho. And then at the other end of the scale, there's something like my year of rest and relaxation. Yeah. It's like in the middle of that scale. Okay, that's not that bad then. Could be much more gory. And, and um, how do you, I mean, 
how do you end up writing a novel? You you don't come from a creative writing background. I know from what we were talked and for things I've seen online, you come from a, you study art. Yeah, so I sort of I I sort of do come from a writing background, but not really formally. Okay. Um, so when I was a teenager, I basically just I just used to write like a lot of fan fiction. Like I constantly, constantly wrote fan fiction to the point that I think I estimate I like cranked out like half a million words of like fanfic mm -hmm. over the course of about 10 years and um, probably even less than 10 years now I've said that because I'm not that old, mm -hmm. um, like, like seven, six or seven years. So um, even though I wasn't like writing, studying writing formally, um, I was, I was doing like an awful, awful lot of writing, even if it was, um, even if it was fan fiction. Yeah. But that, <laughs> um, that, that's all like uh, training towards uh, real, yeah, I mean, in between quotations, you know, um, I mean, uh, what do you think about this? Now that there, there seems to be like the kind of, um, it's almost like a rite of passage that, that writers have to come from this uh, more formal training. I, I, I'm asking because I'm not formally trained either. You know, I just found myself writing. I didn't study writing. I, I, mm. Many times I'm not sure what I'm doing either. Um, do, do you feel that it's uh, you are coming from outside of that world now? Because it seems to be the norm, you know, like um, to, to come yeah. from that background. Yeah, it is. It is strange, actually. I was kind of surprised by the amount of people that seem to have like done a, a master's or an undergrad in creative writing, or like have some sort of qualification or something. Yeah. Um, which yeah, it does just seem to be kind of more and more the norm. I'm not quite sure why that is. I do wonder if it's like maybe people have kind of like lost a bit of confidence in create in doing creative work without having the sort of backup of like like an institutional framework around it yeah i, I mean i don't really get it i mean come, i'm you know i'm from argentina so it's a com generally mm. the approach of people to to writing is completely different from here in the united states it's like you don't really you study literature maybe not necessarily writing itself i don't even know if there is a degree of creative writing but i think it has to do probably with a kind of you know, the neoliberalization, the commercialization of education that suddenly you got all these degrees are mm -hmm. selling you. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure they're amazing and you can learn a lot, but also <laughs> sometimes it feels like uh, they're closing the entry point to many people, you know, because it becomes publishing becomes more and more and more like click, you know. And, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to have this conversation with you because you, you, you in one of the interviews you did with The Guardian, I think it was like uh, you say, mm -hmm that for publishing you are you are seen as diverse yeah <laughs> what do you mean by that um so i think just because in in british publishing obviously there's such a there's like a really like a certain type of person that dominates the the space and i think that tends to be uh people who are generally from the southeast yeah who are privately educated and who have quite often gone to Oxford or Cambridge, or if not Oxford or Cambridge, at least like a, a Russell Group University. Yeah. Um. So we are kind of in this weird position where, like, I as a as a person from like quite a working class background, I'm a little bit sort of edgy about calling myself working class, like right now, just because my um kind of reversal of fortunes and my I live with my partner, and I think. Uh, I think I think he comes from like a more middle class background than me, so uh -huh. we've sort of kind of pooled our funds, and I think it's a little bit of a stretch to to identify 
as that personally like right now but my background's very working class and obviously um I, well not obviously but I wasn't privately educated and I'm from the northeast and just because publishing is so so clicky in the UK and yeah. so restricted and it it really is like it really does feel like there's just one type of person that kind of accesses it I think um I think yeah I am like a weird kind of diverse voice it's like weird that we even talk about northern writers in the uk i think like well, i mean the, now, now there is a lot going on up north no like uh with, there that definitely is it's just it just feels strange that it should need to be a subcategory yeah when like essentially a lot of us are kind of like white university educated people who like you who are probably like very involved in the creative scenes in their own kind of area but um yeah then the second that you get into like publishing it's suddenly like oh northern writers what are they doing where are they coming from suddenly um like it should be a surprise for anybody it's just it it is strange i think do you think that that in a way i mean this london uh, north divide is uh is always with there or is it is it getting better is it always the same you i mean how do you feel about that because i i mean i see a lot of online all these publishers now who are based north you know up north i don't know dead ink uh who else is up there um another stories i think is in sheffield um, yeah so you get the feeling that many indie publishers are gone outside from london and i don't know gally burgers in norwich i mean it's not the north but <laughs> there seems to yeah. be something there yeah definitely i think um it's just sort of well the case almost all around seems to just be that indie presses are doing like a lot of the work for the big fives Mm. in terms of like finding people and like bothering with diversity even when we're kind of just talking about regional diversity um so yeah it is it is strange i think but it is getting better i think it is getting better particularly when you do have some of the bigger publishing houses like opening offices in the north i don't i don't sort of know if that would like lead to a specific imprint or like what what the intention is there but even just to get kind of some of the jobs out of london because it does create this like vacuum where people kind of if you want to take part and work in the creative industry you kind of have to live here yeah absolutely um or and be able to work for free no (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That that isn't to say that there isn't like obviously stuff going on in in these big cities like Manchester and Newcastle and Leeds, but that that does tend to be like a bit of a ceiling or a bit of a wall. And there's just not as many people, there aren't as many companies, there's not as much movement. And if you're kind of lucky, you might end up sort of ping-ponging back and forth between the same three or four organizations in like a slightly improved role. Whereas there's just a little bit, there's just kind of a lot more room i think in london there's a lot more jobs down here which which isn't like a particularly revolutionary or interesting thing to say but no, no, it's no, just no, there's no. just more there's just more stuff down here yeah and what, what about you know i saw um you you do work as a social media kind of um how mm-hmm. you say how would you define your work you work with social media for magazines and and, and things like that yeah so i, d- I was working for miss lexia yeah. um which is a, a women's creative writing magazine which is actually based in newcastle um, and then I am now currently working for the Arvon Foundation, which is the like residential re- creative writing courses. And they're a, a charity as well. So um, there are obviously some like paid writing courses that most people can go on. And then we also run courses for like vulnerable adults and um, children and 
people from low income backgrounds can get. There's, there's basically like a very robust grant scheme. Um, so that's good. So I work in like communications and um, fundraising for them. So I, I do that social media and I also do some sort of fundraising kind of stuff. How do you feed your writing around work? You know, I'm always curious about the, the question of work. I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't make a living off of, out of my writing. I don't even try, mm. you know, and, but there is uh, in a way, I don't know if it's a matter of class, if it's a matter of coming across as professional, but I see this tendency a lot in uh, in uh, in British uh, writers. They, many times they don't like to talk about work, you know, like uh, <laughs> there is, uh, I always jokingly, you know, when I'm uh, trolling people online, I say that, that they seem to be, this need to pretend to live off your work, you know, of writing to for it to be serious, you know. Um, I don't know why yeah. that is. Why do you think that happens, that, that kind of... Uh, yeah i don't know i do wonder if it is like a if like people think that they if, i don't know if it like makes them look better that they don't have a day job or something i mean it is like i suppose like the the goal for me at least is to be able to not have to work a day job and to like be able to live off freelance and and um and writing and stuff but i think i don't know maybe because it is the goal for so many people they just sort of don't want to talk about their day job yeah, <laughs> and maybe, yeah. um maybe make like they're already there i'm, I'm not sure um and uh, how do you feed your writing around work do you write do you write every day do you do, do you manage to do those you don't have the time how, how do you do that because writing a novel it's not it's not easy work how yeah do you, how I, do you pull that one I tend to do it in like fits and starts. So once I'm like properly into a project, I'm normally actually really disciplined with it. Um, I say normally, like I've done multiple books. Um, when I was writing boy parts, I was working four days a week. Um, and I would just basically work on my book for like eight hours on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday, more or less. Um, sometimes I'd like take a shorter day or have Sunday off. Um, and then kind of, dipping into it in the evenings as and when um but at the minute i think because where i always write in cafes okay i'm like very easily distracted i don't really focus very well when i'm at home so lockdown has actually been a bit of a nightmare for me i've been really really unproductive during lockdown for not being able to just like leave the house and go and sit somewhere else um but in the last couple of weeks i have actually kind of gotten back into the swing of it um but uh yeah i do i do i i am finding that i'm kind of struggling to fit right in around work a little bit at the minute but i think it's just because work is so invasive when you're working from home yeah. even when you're only working like four days a week as i am yeah no you cannot tell when when it starts and when it stops isn't it yeah how long did it take you to write the novel uh, about about eight months i think oh, that's i quick. wrote it yeah, people keep saying that it's quick. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's just because I do I do tend to write quickly, and I found the 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 kind of voice that the book is written in I found very easy to like work with. But I did um that was kind of from like first draft took about eight months. So I think I started writing it in like March, and then had finished it by early December. Um, and then I did um the next six months. I was just kind of doing that same eight hours a day schedule with just like editing it pretty much or um like doing things like writing cover letters and synopsises is, 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 is. um and do you have to do much research work for it i mean preparation or you just started one day it started writing and, and never looked back no i just started writing it <laughs> that's amazing so that was actually that was kind of very little preparation for it i think um 
like with a lot of people's first novels, I suppose I just sort of wrote what I knew. So um, there, there's kind of a lot of like stuff about photography in there. And because I do come from a fine art background, yeah. um, I was kind of able to just go off what I remembered from university and stuff that I was interested in anyway. Um, and then, yeah, otherwise it, it wasn't really like a huge amount of research. I suppose I did like a lot of, I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. Okay. So uh, I would say that I probably listen to more true crime podcasts than I normally do just because I'm quite, I don't know, I guess to kind of build like a very holistic picture of that kind of um, sort of, I don't know, that that kind of like slightly violent and unwell and bordering on psychopathic psyche. Do you do you um, do you read a lot of like like, like genre fiction like uh, crime things like that or? Um, not really. I think I don't read that much. Like compared to most authors, I'm I'm a really slow reader. Um, so I quite often like pick something up, and again, I'm just I'm just really really easily distracted, and I, my concentration's just kind of shot to shit. So <laughs> I'll quite often like pick something up and then maybe read the first couple of chapters and decide that I'm not really into it and put it back down. Um, audiobooks are a lot better for me. Um, you can so focus I go more through, on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I do like, I think it's just because you can do something else while you're listening to an audiobook, which is what really gets me with like sitting down and reading a paper book that I can't like fiddle about with anything <laughs> else while I'm doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I do like, a fair bit of like literary fiction stuff that's kind of been recommended to me that's like effectively just sort of in the same canon as boy parts at the minute because i feel i feel like i am pay playing catch up a little bit with um what i need to read okay there's so um, much but... you know to read it's almost impossible there is so much to read <laughs> there are so many books there is like it feels like there's just more books than anything that comes out like well, there are definitely more books than films, which is insane because I feel like it should take longer to write a book than it should to make a film, but that probably doesn't really track at all. <laughs> I saw you a couple of weeks ago, uh, probably or, or last week, that you were um, you were talking online about you know this di false dichotomy between literary fiction and genre fiction. Um, there is mm. like a lot of. Uh, Uh, beef yeah from these two kinds of yeah what is that about <laughs> I don't know it's weird isn't it um yeah I feel like it's just every now and again this will surface where you'll get like a bunch of sort of like I don't know like blue ticky kind of y-a-s-f-f kind of accounts doing the whole like oh catcher in the rise actually really shit oh yeah of yeah yeah that, that's, that's happening a lot lately <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just so boring. It's like <laughs> I feel like people maybe haven't realized that like the reason that that book pops up so much is because it is divisive and because it's really really easy for a 16-year-old to talk about. Yeah. So it's like when you're still getting like adults being like, "Oh, um I've just come up with this like amazing opinion that uh, Catcher in the Rye is actually not very good." It's just sort of like, "Oh, well done for your like 70-year-old take." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of that of that. I mean, I call it a false dichotomy because I don't see why you cannot enjoy both things. I mean, I, it's weird. It's a weird binary yeah. for me. I mean, I definitely like like I I like a lot of sort of crime and true crime and you know I like I like horror. I've been um, God, me and my partner do a podcast yes, together. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. 
and um we're, we're gonna do an episode on the twilight films and watching those has just absolutely like melted my brain <laughs> but it's also made me really 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 want to watch something or read something with vampires so i'm a bit like i think i'm gonna dive headfirst into some Anne rice and hope that i can kind of keep focused on it because i would i would like to read something really good with vampires i feel like we haven't had anything in a while like well, that dracula i'm sure you've read it already I actually haven't. I've read like six books, honestly. <laughs> you have to check that one out. That's a go-to. And, and another thing I, I heard you talking about, I saw you talking about the other day, is, um, I, and I did mention it to you when we were, we were talking about doing this, about mm -hmm. literal readers, which is the way I call them. What happened? Yeah. Someone uh, confused the character with you. Do you get that? Because it's something I saw you talking also in the... Um, so yeah. even in the review in the Guardian, they seem to be like this. This is she's not as bad as a character from the book or something along those lines, which I find super weird. Yeah, it is a little bit weird, you know. Um, I kind of I'm trying like I th I think part of the sort of process of getting used to the whole being an author thing is like having to get used to this sort of like literal reading of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I I kind of haven't really gotten past the point where it like doesn't bother me because the the main character in my book is kind of so like unpleasant yeah and i am i'm i'm very nice <laughs> i promise i am very nice and it's just I this weird you. it's it's like this weird thing of like having to be on the defensive and like i think people are expecting me to be like meaner than i actually am yeah. um and and sort of nastier and kind of more like the narrator than i actually am um, but yeah, the little reading stuff has been has been a little bit strange. Like I think I got I got sent one Goodreads review from somebody who thought I would find it funny. But it was like it was like this person being like, Oh, um, there's some really problematic stuff in here, which I was kind of surprised by because our online presence is so intentionally woke. And then the person like kind of kind of like implied I was racist because of one line in the book. Oh. And um, I was just a bit like kind of taken aback by because like I would never do that about a book because I know that the authors aren't the um, aren't the characters and that the characters are fictional. So I, I think it's something that I find frustrating anyway. But when it actually happens to you, it's like weirdly like. I don't know. It makes you feel really defensive. It's like a bit like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. You don't want to. I mean, I remember when I, my first book in English is called Dysfunctional Males, you know, it's, uh, mm. and it's, they're also quite nasty and, and, and graphic. And I remember someone came to me after reading and said, oh, are you actually much nicer? And I thought you were, <laughs> you know, I thought you were a really crib and disgusting person. You're actually quite nice, you know, and I said, listen. <laughs> I'm not the characters, you know, I'm writing in the first person um, uh, sometimes, but um, so how do I mean, do you think it was always like that, that people will make the assumption that the writer is the characters he or she writes or, or, yeah, or that I is think, something? I think, I think to an extent, I feel like it's something that's probably like gotten more prevalent as we've kind of had the the sort of greater influx of like autobiographical fiction and um uh sort of transgressive writing as well mm -hmm. i think when writing is transgressive i do think there seems to be a bit of an impulse to try and work out like if it's real or not um okay. just because it sort of makes readers feel uncomfortable but i do think particularly because they're 
because at the minute I am currently a young woman and there are a lot of like young women writers who do write quite a lot of like openly and confidently autobiographical stuff yeah um and I think I think a lot of that does kind of to an extent come from commercial fiction just because of that sort of own voices tag that has been stuck on things yeah. like you tend to find this more with young adult authors but if people referring to books as like an own voices book which you know the implication there would be like this book is about an autistic character and the author is also autistic and stuff mm -hmm. like that which i think is like i think that like makes sense when you're talking about a book that is for example about being autistic or like a book about your lgbt identity or something like that mm -hmm. um because you kind of don't want to read that sort of story from somebody who hasn't experienced it directly um yeah. just because it probably won't make a lot of sense or be hugely useful for other people in that position um whereas when it comes to like adult literary transgressive fiction i think it's really really invasive to like try and divine whether an author shares the experiences with the the characters i think i find it like particularly sort of invasive in the context of my book as well just because there is so much content about like sexual assault mm -hmm. and historical sexual trauma that it does feel like really like yeah. <laughs> if people are trying to work out if it's about me or not it's kind of it's effectively like having people speculating if you've been raped in public and mm. like that being a fine thing to do yeah. um and i think it's something just people feel a lot more emboldened to do with with women writers um like there was the stuff with kate elizabeth russell who wrote my dark vanessa at the start of the year when it was just basically somebody somebody who'd written a memoir which was really similar to my dark vanessa um oh uh, yes i heard that yeah there was it. yeah she wrote like an kind of like an op-ed basically implying that like my dark vanessa was based on appropriated experiences and then a bunch of people on goodreads um, no. and on twitter and stuff started like just posting that she had like made it up and that it wasn't based on her and that it was like appropriative and that it was gross that she was profiting on it so this like poor woman has to put up a statement saying that like oh actually this book is kind of semi-autobiographical please leave me alone oh my god <laughs> so I, I do think like as an industry the when sort of authors mention being made uncomfortable by like uncomfortable about stuff like this i do really think the response should be like book bloggers don't do this yeah. rather than like authors just don't look at reviews because it's not always super possible and like i said it can be quite invasive <laughs> no i mean i'm asking someone not to look at the reviews is i asking someone not to scratch you know where the itch is i mean you cannot know you want to see what people are saying you know i mean uh but yeah but i mean my only tip here because you know i'm, I'm older no i'm not and it's uh, you will get used to it you know if it's it happens you know and i think online online culture has made things worse you know because now anyone has a direct line to to you directly connecting to you you know that's you mm. cannot avoid it you know if someone wants to tell you your book is shit they're gonna tell you and you're gonna find out you know <laughs> it's uh, so uh, it's about getting used to it and, and and let me ask you another thing about this um um so what do you think, um, as an author, 
I mean, how we should work with literary readers? Do we reply to them? Do we need to engage them? Do we need to say anything? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When when I was like talking about this on Twitter, a lot of the response I got was just like, oh, like reviews aren't for you, they're for readers. Mm -hmm. And the point I was kind of trying to make was like, that isn't a review. That's like a an assumption of my character that somebody has like made public on the yeah. internet on like a public platform. So it is weird. I kind of don't know what to do because I feel like nothing good can ever really come from like engaging or arguing with somebody who's determined to do a literal reading of your work. Yeah. But at the same time, it is just it's just so annoying. Like Of course. <laughs> of course. I, feel I mean like it's a, it's a book, you know. It's it's a it's fiction. It's a, it's basic, you know. If you cannot understand that people shouldn't be reading, you know, it's simple. Otherwise it's yeah, dangerous. I don't know. And... <laughs> what what do you think we should do with literal readers? <laughs> I tend, um, I, I ignore, really, um, I ignore them. I don't get so, I, I, on the other hand, I don't think I ever got so much attention as you had in such a condensed moment, you know, in a few mm. weeks, it's been a lot of going on for you. My, my, I'm not so, I'm not so exposed, but, but I try, I try to ignore that kind of things. You know, I did get a few things that, that were quite completely misreading in the way of, I wrote something, you know, assuming in the same mm. way that what you're writing is always autobiographical. But I don't think I don't think we can do much more than ignore it. You know, it's not, it will take changing the reading culture, but it's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's mm. the tendency to read uh, literally is there. And, and let, let, changing topic before before we run out of time, I saw that you're writing mm -hmm. a novelette. Yeah. What is that? Um, that was like, so I had like, it, it is unfortunately like it was supposed to be out i think this year or last year but it seems like this small press that i was like signed with has um has gone under which oh, is a shame no. but yeah it's uh it's very that kind of like the risk of working with um micro presses and stuff where they are so. like it, it is great to work with them but like they're just so unstable sometimes yeah um but yeah that was that was that was uh like a sort of lovecraftian cosmic horror space opera thing um which which may now never see the light of day but we'll see i'll no, probably just no, put no, it no. out myself if we can't find if i can't find anywhere for send it, send it I mean, to open pen who publish novelettes you know they do i mean the rights revert back to me in december of this year so <laughs> we've definitely at least got like um five months to wait but <laughs> <laughs> what is it what is it about this one if you can tell us um it's about uh it's another one that's gonna be a little bit weird to sum up but <laughs> it's about uh a sort of space scientist lady um i think i think i said that she was a xeno archaeologist in the book who's <laughs> like who was like a very early believer in aliens existing and then it turned out that aliens existed so they're sort of working under a like cooperative thing <laughs> um and they land on this sort of mysterious planet and she falls into a very deep chasm and is met with a sort of strange force um is knocked unconscious and then wakes up a a few days later on an alien ship finding out that her entire crew has been murdered so very very kind of genre-y but um i think it's fun it's kind of surreal it's kind of trippy um well if any any publishers are listening you know <laughs> there you go snatcher yeah we get the rights back rights back in december so <laughs> back in december, only a few months away right how you been through this madness uh, period 
you've been okay you you go ill you 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 suffer yeah, i've been okay i've been a little bit um I, i was ill in march um so i think i think we got it really early um because like a, we had like a spate in my office where it was like my colleague that i work next to had been off for a few days and she was like oh yeah it was so weird i just had like a sore throat and a temperature and nothing else and then um and this was kind of before it it felt like it really sort of properly hit the uk yeah um and then my other manager my manager came in one day like yeah i've just it's so weird i've been off with like a sore throat and i just i just felt really sweaty and i just felt like shit and now i feel really tired and then sort of for about like a week i was like do i have a sore throat or am i just being paranoid and then um like a couple of days later i had like a temperature and a tight chest and i think that was like a week before we went into lockdown so me and my partner were self-isolating for like um I, i think it was something like the day after our isolation period ended we went into like full lockdown oh, no. anyway <laughs> um so it's terrible timing but other than that i'm kind of glad that we like got it out of the way early assuming yeah. we did have covered um but yeah other than that i think we've just been a bit like bored yeah well it's, it's the destined time for 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 mental health you know trying to stay sane with all of this and, and active and don't get depressed but we'll get yeah, definitely we'll see it through listen eliza uh once more congratulations on your book thank you I, i'm really looking forward to reading i will read it as soon as i as i finish my <laughs> other books i got going now but it's uh it's a pleasure to see you doing well and representing influx presser so well <laughs> okay and thanks for okay. doing this i speak to you any other yeah, time soon, okay thank you for having me Take it's care. been lovely thank you <laughs> good night thanks bye-bye bye-bye right that was eliza clark all the way from newcastle now she lives in london and um i mean do check boy parts is doing really well people are getting really excited about this book and um so she she seems uh very nice person i'm sure she never murdered anyone like her main character so don't read books literally that's really really bad you destroy a book if you do that so uh next week we're gonna have uh carolina carolina sorry orloff from charco press then after that we're gonna have the editors of minor editors and then we're gonna fold the quarantine quarantine hotline for a while um just because it's getting old and uh I'm sure we're going to have other chances of doing other things, but maybe not live. So if you never listened to this uh, until today, I've been through this uh, series. I've been playing music from a label from Rosario, Argentina, where I come from. The label is called Planeta X, and the music is so issued a release uh, with a Creative Commons license. So you, if you want to get the music I've been playing, you need to go to the website, or Spotify, but you can go to a website because you go other other places. Uh, go to planetax.org.ar and I'm going to leave you one more song from the compilation album the release in July. This, called, this song is called uh, The Silo by Martin Arias and I speak to you next week. Have a good one.